This week on the 1044, we're kicking off our countdown to Christmas. Uh, don't look now, but we're officially two weeks away. Uh, your shopping window is quickly closing, and a jammed-up supply chain isn't helping Santa Claus any. We'll explore what's causing major dwell times at postal service facilities across the country, uh, talk about reader reactions and questions to a recent story about uh, looming regulations around brakes components, uh, and we'll get an update on the 2,000-mile journey by truck, of course, of the U.S. Capitol Christmas tree. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the 1044, a weekly webisode and podcast from the editors here at CCJ Overdrive and Truck Park Service. I'm James Gillette and my co-host on the other side is Jason Cannon, editor of CCJ. You can find new episodes each week uh, on CCJ's YouTube channel of the 1044, so go ahead and check that out and subscribe. Uh, or if you prefer to listen to us via podcast format, we're on all the major podcast clients, so find the 1044 in your favorite listening app and subscribe there as well. Um, Jason, we have just about two business weeks remaining to shop for Christmas presents. If you want to, uh, hand them out on Christmas, that is, um, and, and maybe a little less than two weeks if you, uh, discount Christmas Eve and Christmas day. Uh, so that window to buy gifts for friends and family is closing fast. Yeah, it may actually already be closed, James. My Amazon Prime stuff is back to about two days after spending most of the pandemic in this weird status of uh, you'll get it when you get it. Uh, but the post office is getting absolutely crushed right now. I've got a package sitting in the Pontiac, Michigan distribution center, and it hasn't moved since last week. Uh, the post office tells me that this kind of ties back to several things. Number one, obviously, is the pandemic uh, and the, the recent resurgence. The social distancing, the quarantines, contact tracing has taken a lot of people out of the sorting system. So yeah, and we're right here at crunch time. So there, there's a lot going on in the post office. And James, I think you've got a little bit more insight on that with us later, right? Yeah, that's right, Jason. Uh, I talked to Carson Krieg. Uh, he's the co-founder of a company called Convey, which he describes as a uh, quote-unquote delivery experience management firm. Uh, they work with a few major retailers like Home Depot, Neiman Marcus, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Walmart, uh, as well as some online exclusive retailers like Casper Mattress and Rent the Runway. Um, and he says their whole goal, uh, the whole reason they founded the company was to help companies like that, uh, their clients, um, compete with Amazon's juggernaut of a delivery network. Um, and so he, I talked to him for about 10 minutes and he provided some really great insight into what's going on in the supply chain right now and why there have been these reports surfacing of truck drivers at, U, uh, at United States Postal Service facilities having to wait 8, 10, 15 hours just to load and unload. So knowing what you know now, are you a last minute shopper and are your Christmas presents in danger of becoming Valentine's presents? Uh, Jason, I think I'm all set, man. Um, you know, being in the world that you and I live in, where we kind of keep a, a finger on the pulse of what's going on in the supply chain, um, I started snagging my gifts a little earlier this year than I normally do. Uh, you know, obviously just because I didn't want anything to get hung up in the queue last minute, uh, but I also didn't want to contribute to what really seemed to be shaping up to be uh, a tidal wave of online ordering and delivering uh, right before Christmas. And I would say that's exactly where we are now. Uh, I did order three items on Black Friday and they are still not here. So that's uh, bearing down on two weeks. Um, all three are with USPS tracking numbers and the tracking info at one point on all three just kind of stalled after a couple days. 
Uh, so we'll jump into these topics with Carson here in a little bit. Uh, we had a great conversation about all these issues and what he's seeing on his end in the supply chain and specifically in the parcel delivery and final mile segment. And he answers the all-important question, uh, will Santa's bag be fully stocked come Christmas Eve? Effective January 1st, which is about three weeks away, uh, manufacturers of brakes will have to remove a significant amount of copper from their friction material. Uh, Jason, I read the story that you posted on ccjdigital.com recently about this issue, uh, and I saw it pop up on my LinkedIn feed recently where there was some some heated debate there, it looked like, uh, and there was some concern in the comments about what these new regulations could mean for safety. And so could you address some of that? Uh, sure. I saw a lot of those same comments. The, the mandate itself calls for a less than 5% copper by weight, which is what they call B-level, uh, in the friction material on January the 1st of the coming year, and 0.5%, which is what they call N-level, by January 1st of 2025. Basically, the EPA wants to get copper out of brakes, mostly because the, the, the brake dust uh, is toxic, and specifically to uh, aquatic life in the event of surface runoff. Uh, a lot of the concern that I have seen online has been pointed at, quote unquote, you know, what if this new material doesn't perform as well as copper and we have these 80,000 pound unstoppable torpedoes hurtling themselves down the highway? I guess the, the default safety net there is that any new friction material still has to meet reduced stopping distance mandates, which require trucks to stop in not more than 250 feet when loaded to their gross vehicle weight rating. Uh, that's not changing, you know, regardless of what these new compounds are, and each brake OEM is going to have a little bit different compound, they still have to meet the RSD guideline. And it's worth noting that Meritor's friction material already meets the end level, um, so, and the end level is the 2025 date. So Meritor is about five years ahead of the curve here. And depending on the last time you had brake service work done, you may already be rolling with brakes that will be compliant five years from now. Uh, also, if you use exclusively drum brakes, which is still more than half the market, this doesn't even really apply to you because depending on which brake company you use, many drum brakes already are well under that copper threshold. The drum brakes are a lot larger and can dissipate heat more easily. They don't use as much copper to begin with. Very interesting stuff, Jason. Uh, and I know that was, like I said, that was kind of a hot topic uh, when it was posted, that story was posted on LinkedIn. Um, and, uh, and so I'm going to put you back on the spot here in a minute to answer some more questions about the same topic. Uh, but first, Under the Hood, Part 1A this week. Uh, let's dive into that interview with Carson to talk about uh, the supply chain and the current parcel delivery logjam. Hey, Carson. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about Convey and what the company does and what you've seen this year on the e-commerce and parcel delivery side. Convey is what we call a delivery experience management company. So we're really trying to help retailers um, compete with Amazon on their delivery experience. And what we've seen this year in e-commerce is obviously, you know, you always typically have this peak season, the 30-day peak season between November and December. Um, with the pandemic this year, peak season really started in March. So we've seen, you know, pretty crazy year over year volumes um, going back to March here for the last nine months. And, and right now what we're seeing is a, a 30% year over year increase um, from where we're at in November, December last year. Um, so kind of for the first time, you know, in a long while, um, the major parcel carriers, UPS and FedEx, they're, they're starting to turn away business. 
And so what you've seen is uh, this holiday season, kind of the past couple of weeks, is the primary overflow carrier has actually been the U.S. Postal Service. Um, and you're seeing, you know, performance be affected by that. The, the on-time percentage that we're tracking for the U.S. Postal Service has, has dropped pretty dramatically in the last two weeks. The transit days are increasing. Um, so as we see the U.S. Postal Service market share kind of increase. We, we had them, you know, historically around 9% for 2020. Uh, we've seen their percentage of market share um, go up to as much as 23% in, in certain accounts for the last couple of weeks. So we're seeing them essentially double their volume, take that overflow volume away from UPS and FedEx, and it's beginning to, to flood their network and flood their capacity. So Carson, in your opinion, what is leading to these really long dwell times at the USPS facilities? I think what you're seeing is the the you know 30% growth in year-over-year volumes plus you know just people shortages, right? All these guys tried to hire seasonal warehouse workers, things like that with the pandemic. You know, if someone's feeling sick, they're no longer coming in. So just you know, the hands on the dock for anything, um, you know, for any of the cross docking, anything that is kind of required to get this stuff from A to B right now, you have, you know, a, a you know, capacity overflow as far as the, the number of packages that are coming through as well as just a warehouse worker shortage. So it's kind of, you know, a perfect storm of everything aligning. And then, you know, existing capacity, there's USPS had the mail-in ballots, you know, issue back in back in November, you know, now there's the whole talk of how the, the vaccine is going to affect, you know, the supply chain as well. So um, it's already really starting. We're, we're seeing it to fall apart a little bit and we're curious to see what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks. Carson, I'm, I'm curious as to how widespread these issues are at the USPS facilities. Is it isolated to a few in the Midwest, which are the ones we heard about? Um, or is it an issue that uh, is being seen at, at USPS facilities nationwide with these really long dwell times for carriers that are servicing USPS facilities? Um, and then I think taking it a step further, is it something that's more widespread even than USPS itself? Is it something that you're seeing at, uh, at, at docks and at warehouses uh, outside of the USPS network? I mean, we're seeing it in the Northeast as well. I had a FedEx smart post package, you know, delayed in Kansas the other day. So the implications kind of expand beyond the postal service, just because the postal service is the final mile carrier for some of those other carriers in that situation. So if it's a FedEx smart post shipment or a UPS sure post shipment or a DHL e-commerce shipment, those have, you know, typically been filled, been fulfilled by the U S postal service. Um, so it's really the induction capacity is strained and then the final mile capacity is constrained as far as, you know, the daily routes and things like that. So it's happening on both ends. And just because the Postal Service has acted as that final mile agent, you know, for, for UPS, FedEx and DHL previously, um, all that, not only the overflow volume is going direct to the Postal Service, but the upstream FedEx and UPS volume is typically turned it off as well. Well, Carson, I'm curious, in your opinion, how these issues play out over the next couple of weeks. And I think one of the pressing questions is, uh, will Santa's bag be be stocked uh, on Christmas Eve? And then looking out just a little bit further, uh, how do these issues play out after Christmas when return season starts and uh, at the turn of the new year? 
So we have the unique ability to provide what's called a click to deliver metric. So since we're ingesting those orders from our retail partners, we can kind of say, hey, when does the clock start as far as the customer hitting the buy button? And we're, we're marrying together both the fulfillment time from the retailer warehouses and distribution centers with, with the transit times from the carriers. So we've seen about a two-day average creep in the parcel space over the last couple of weeks and saying, hey, you know, Everybody implemented their cutoff dates, what I would maybe call a little early this season. So USPS retail ground, the cutoff is December 15th. But what consumers are not accounting for is that two-day fulfillment. So if you've already maxed, you know, your daily number of pickups or anything like that at the origin and you you could, you know, press the buy button on the 13th, but it might not get picked up till the 15th. So giving yourself a little wiggle room here as a consumer ordering early. You know, you saw it with the retailers this season. Amazon did Prime Day in mid-October. Best Buy, Walmart, Target, those guys all followed suit to kind of stretch out the holiday season to see if we could extend the capacity, you know, for our parcel carrier partners as well. Um, so it's it's really kind of all coming to a head. And then the return season year over year, I mean, I'm assuming you're just going to see the outbound uh, problem in the reverse logistics space in, in January, right? So you know, more complexity as far as the daily number of pickup points if consumers aren't dropping this stuff at, off at a UPS or a FedEx. Um, you know, inventory is going to be strained for a lot of retailers there in January as they're just trying to figure out, you know, where is my stuff? Where is my stuff on the returns flow? Um, so, yeah, I would I imagine the next 45 to 60 days are certainly going to be a, a bumpy ride. Um, and, you know, we're seeing it with the, with the postal service transit days already. You know, they were pretty steady around, you know, 3.7 or four days for most of the year, just kind of an average across all our network that's jumped to six days. So this stuff is just sitting on local docks, could be in the origin market, could be, you know, in the destination market, but um, it's really just sitting there waiting to be fulfilled. And, and we're seeing that extended in the transit times. I mean, let's order early and see what we can do to save Santa, right? So, <laughs> Well, Carson, I really appreciate you joining us today. And uh, thanks for all the great information. And I hope you have a very happy holiday season. And, uh, and I'll see you on the other side. You have a great holiday as well. All right. Big thanks to Carson for joining us this week. And I'm looking forward to touching base with him after the holidays for a recap on all these issues we discussed. All right, Jason, time for the mailbag. <laughs> I hate to bring it back up, but the story that we were just talking about it a minute ago with the uh, copper brake components and the new regulations did make an impression, it seems like, with readers. Um, and one of the comments from Mike R on, uh, was that Facebook or LinkedIn, Jason? Uh, I think that was actually a comment on the story itself. Okay. So he asked, uh, so his comment was, uh, quote, another straw man from California. Uh, once the new materials are used, then those new materials will be showing up in our sewage drains and must be banned. No whining here. Uh, he's right, isn't he? I mean, brake dust isn't going away and there's still going to be some, some form of runoff even after the components change starting January 1st. Yeah, Mike is absolutely right. Copper is the primary target here. And the mining process for copper is pretty unclean in itself. But when considering some of the other organic and inorganic chemicals that are in the dust, you've got a lot of things kind of along for the ride. Mercury, lead, cadmium, there's several other undesirable things that by proxy are going to come out of this new formulation. Uh, the focus of this new material is the inclusion of more organic matter or inorganics that are just environmentally friendly or more environmentally friendly. 
uh, I, I think I would compare this initiative to what we see perpetually with emissions. We didn't go from 100 to zero all at once with NOx and CO2. Those regulations push as far as the engineering and science will allow, which is why you see them change about every three or five years or so, because the engineering and the science just gets better. After the 2025 break mandate, which is going to pull the copper content down to 0.5%, I think we can probably expect another one that brings it down to zero. That's great stuff, Jason. Um, and if you have a question out there, listeners, that you want us to answer in an upcoming mailbag, shoot us an email at 1044trucking at gmail.com. That's 1044trucking at gmail.com. Or give us a call, 404-491-1380. Uh, we want to hear your questions and comments, so shoot those over. All right, time for the last segment of our show, Roadside Attractions. James, we're staring down the barrel of Christmas, so let's just stay on theme here. The 2020 Capitol Christmas tree has completed its journey to the west lawn of the U.S. Capitol building in Washington, D.C., thanks to Apex Transportation and drivers Butch Hanna and Theron Smaltzreed. The Engelman Spruce came from what I believe they called the G-Mug National Forest in Colorado, uh, and it traveled about 2,000 miles on the back of a Kenworth on its way to about a mile or so away from Donald Trump's house. So nice work, Butch and Theron. We appreciate your hard work. And you can see the photos on screen now if you're watching the video edition of uh, the fruits of Butch and Theron's hard work. So, James, that brings me to this question. It's, it's been ever since I saw the pictures of the Capitol Christmas tree, I think this has been on my mind. Do you have a 55-foot a tree decorated in your yard? Or is it, is, better yet, is it even in your house? Well, all told, Jason, I think I have about 14 feet of Christmas tree in my house. Uh, so a pretty far cry from the 55 feet there in the Capitol. Um, so we have a, a six-footer upstairs in the main living room and then a five-footer in the basement den area and then uh, probably comprising about three more feet of uh, small decorative uh, uh, trees around various other cabinets in the house. Uh, what about the Cannon household? Do you all have a ceiling scraper or what? Uh, no, no ceiling scrapers here. I think you and I both need to get on the horn with Apex and see if they'll bring us some more fancy stuff, maybe for next Christmas. But uh, there's an eight-footer in the living room. I think there's a seven-footer in what we call the dining room, the dining room which we never eat in. And this little fella right here over my shoulder. And that's pretty much the extent of our tree illumination. Now, obviously, the outside's a whole different story. But, uh, you know, we're a, we're a three-tree family around here. Yeah, I'm thinking a 55-foot uh, spruce from out west would look really good in my front yard next year. So I, I agree. And if you need me to write a letter to your HOA, James, I will do that for you. <laughs> well, that's this edition of the 1044. Uh, hit us with your mailbag questions at 1044trucking at gmail.com. That's 1044trucking at gmail.com with your questions and feedback. Or give us a call at 404-491-1380 and leave us a message there. I check that mailbox pretty much every day, so please give us a ring and leave us a voicemail. Uh, that's this week, so everybody take care and stay safe. <laughs>